chapter. So this morning we're going to be continuing our sermon series, looking at the life... This is a bit high for me, hold on. Even for me, no. This is, uh, we're, we're, we're continuing our sermon series on um, the Gospel of Mark, looking at the life and death and resurrection uh, of Jesus. Um, as, as I, I've just recently read it through all again to where we are. And what seems to be clear to me as I've read through it is that this, the writer, Mark, is on a mission. I don't know if you've noticed that. Through the last seven chapters, Mark is wanting to hammer home. He's wanting to underline uh, uh, the answer to a very, very, very important question. And that question is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, I've just read this. Someone recently wrote, ten years ago, we had Steve Jobs, Johnny Cash, and Bob Hope. Now we have no hope, no cash, and no, uh, and no hope. No, no jobs, no cash. It's the way I tell them. No. No, ca- no jobs, no cash, and no hope. It was funny when I read it. <laughs> but that's not the case with Jesus, is it? Um, he doesn't go away. This man is always in our face. Wherever we, wherever we go. Francis, uh, James Francis, in his poem uh, called One Solitary Life, written over 80 years ago now, he wrote this. All the leaders of mankind's progress, all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life, Jesus. And so here in Mark chapter 8, we have the pinnacle of everything that has gone before so far in this gospel. It's the turning point, if you like, in this book as his, di- as his disciples, his close friends, start getting the answer to this question. Who is Jesus? So let's read it together, shall we? Mark 8, uh, 22 to 30. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he, when, he had, uh, when, he, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home away saying, don't even go to the village. Don't tell anyone. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Peter, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a God who restores sight. I thank you, Lord God, that you are the one one who can open the eyes 
of the blind. I thank you, Lord, that you, your truth, your gospel, everything you came for, everything you stand for, everything about you opens our eyes to a reality that we cannot see on our own. So I pray, Holy Spirit, come right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, touch each person here this morning. I pray blind eyes be opened this morning. I pray that we can see you in all your glory, in all your majesty. I pray, Lord God, that for all, when all the things that are going on, when all the things that um, we think about in the future, when all of our, in, in the midst of all of our fears and thoughts and excitements and dreams, I pray, Spirit of God, you open our eyes to the wonder of what you're doing. I thank you for our salvation, but I also thank you that you have saved us into a life of seeing more and more and more of you. So be with me, Jesus. Be with me. Be with, uh, be with us all this morning as we open your word and, we, and, and as we look into it deeper and deeper. Open our eyes, we pray. Amen. So, as usual, three points, three thoughts uh, that I feel God wants to hear, uh, hear, wants us to hear this morning. Firstly, we're all, firstly, we're all spiritually blind. We all are in need of seeing deeper. We all need to keep coming to Jesus if we are to be a people who see with the eyes of faith, his eyes. Secondly, what is it that Jesus wants us to see? And thirdly, how, how do we see him deeper? How do we increasingly see with the eyes of faith? We're all spiritually blind. What does he want us to see? And seeing deeper. So firstly, we're all spiritually blind. We all are in need of seeing deeper. When we read the story, it's a fascinating miracle, isn't it? We've, we've looked at quite a few miracles of Jesus, haven't we? Jesus uh, Jesus was quite a guy. It would have been amazing to be with him. Wherever he rocked up, he created a stir. Exciting, exhilarating, thought-provoking, life-changing man. You really, got the feel for, you really get a feel for this as you read the Gospels through, don't you? And I don't know if you've noticed, but each of the miracles seem to be a little bit different. Sometimes he speaks healing. Sometimes he heals with a touch. Sometimes it's at a distance. Sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's many. Jesus restores life. Jesus cures illnesses. Jesus casts out demonic forces. Jesus uh, uh, heals a hurricane, a windstorm. Amazing, really. But I don't know if you've thought about it. Um, But there's something more to these miracles than just the miraculous. They're not just magic shows. They're not just Jesus performing live first century entertainment. Awesome, wonderful, eye-catching show. But in it, all of us, in it, but in all of it, Jesus is teaching, showing, revealing, declaring much bigger kingdom, eternal truths. Through the many signs and wonders, Jesus is always shaping us, molding us, forming us, especially his disciples at the time, who were going to change the world. And, this, and, the, and, you know, and what we've just read, this healing, is no different. In fact, it's quite a unique one, really. It's a bit odd. 
Have you thought about that? Because on the surface, well, when I first read it, on the surface, it would seem that Jesus wasn't quite firing on all cylinders. It was kind of like he was running out of batteries a little. Wait for the thunderbolt. No, it's not coming. It's like, right, stand back, guys. Be healed. Can you see now? Uh, not really, Jesus. I see something, though. I see men like trees walking. Good effort. But it's still a bit hazy. Oh, sorry, buddy. Let me have another go. Be healed. How's that? Oh, that's much better. I can see now. Well done. Second time. It's a bit odd, isn't it? But it's not really. As we've said before, Jesus is deliberate in everything he does. This isn't a mistake. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, as ever. What is he teaching us? Why is it there, apart from that it actually happened? As I've read the various commentaries, it's pretty obvious, really, when you read the whole of chapter 8. I think the best way to explain what's going on here, this healing, is that it's a parable. Remember what a parable is. Does anybody remember what a parable is? We did a whole series on parables. Hands up if you know what a parable is. Go on, fire away. Whoa, perfect. A parable is a small story helping us to understand a much bigger idea, a deeper message. It helps us to take it in, and that's what Jesus is demonstrating. Apart from his compassion, of course he's compassionate. And so Jesus, through this deliberate visual healing, is saying to us, like the man who is uh, physically blind, we are all spiritually blind. We all have a hazy understanding of the reality and purposes of God. We all can see men like trees walking. Do you see that? Because get this, because it's, it's very important. Ultimate reality, ultimate understanding, ultimate truth, ultimate seeing can only be grasped gradually as we keep, keep, keep coming to this Jesus. These things cannot be grasped just by thinking it through, using our noodle, relying on ourselves to work it out. No, we need God. We need God the Holy Spirit to re reveal things. That's actually the main point of this, uh, of, this, of this healing. Now, I know we don't like that, do we? We don't like to think that we have to be reliant on God. We don't. It's deep, deep in our nature, actually. I love watching and talking uh, to people on the Alpha Course. I've loved hearing uh, the stories of Janice and Lorraine and Chris. Uh, over the last few weeks. But I also remember chatting to some of these guys on the first weeks of Alpha. Very suspicious. Very close. Sometimes quite angry, actually. And then God breaks in. The Holy Spirit brings truth and revelation. It's not our clever explanations. It's not the books we try and get them to read. It's not our well-rehearsed arguments. Now, don't hear me wrong, those things are not bad, 
The Bible tells us to explain the gospel clearly. It does. But what turns the light on, what suddenly brings them to life, is God's touch week after week. Jesus keeps spitting, spitting, spitting. Eyes keep opening, opening, opening. (gasps) Fascinating. But it's actually not just them on the Alpha course. It's all of us, isn't it? Our God keeps revealing his truths and plans bit by bit by bit. Do you believe? Are you listening out for him? Are you seeing clearly, individually, together? Are you? That is what Jesus is saying in the whole of chapter 8, actually, to his disciples in verse 17. Do you still not understand? They've just, he's just fed 5,000, now he feeds 4,000, exactly the same virtually, yet they still don't see. Do you not see or understand? Do you have eyes but fail to see, he tells them, and ears but fail to hear? To the religious people, the Pharisees, who really know about God, when they ask for a sign, verse 11 of chapter 8, what planet are you on, Jesus? This is a Raj paraphrase. What planet are you on, uh, Pharisees? Can't you see who I am, Jesus says? Isn't all the mind-blowing stuff that I've already done good enough for you? Can't you see? It doesn't matter who you are, Jubilee. We all see men like trees walking. It's not just those who um, don't believe. It's all of us. Whether we've been a Christian one week, one year, one decade, we all need God to help us increasingly to see better, see more, see deeper. We need Jesus to keep, keep spitting in our eyes. And the failure to see that is the ultimate blindness, the ultimate pride, the ultimate dead end. Jubilee, in everything you're asking Jesus, in everything you're asking about, praying about, are you asking Jesus first? Now, if you really think about the, the answer, the truth of that answer, I, I, I can imagine we'll all be very surprised. Do we come to Jesus first? That's the first point. Secondly, what is it that Jesus wants us to see? What is it that Jesus wants us to see? Now, we could be here all day, and I won't be. It's a list that is endless. Yeah? What, do we, what does Jesus want us to see? There's loads of stuff I can't see. But basically, I think it's one thing. God wants us to see the bigger picture. God is drawing us out of our very small, personal, me-centered gospel of Jesus to his glorious, overwhelming, nation-centered, world-changing, street-shaping, work-enhancing gospel. It's a big gospel. You see, when Jesus starts having uh, this conversation with his disciples, when he asks them the big question, who do people say I am? And they they give a whole list of answers, don't they? Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some of the others say prophets. Jesus has to take them out of their culture-influencing, deep-seated, small-thinking to a truth that is much, much bigger. He wants them to really see. He's spitting in their eyes too, actually. 
over the last few months uh, as an eldership team with our, uh, with our wider leadership uh, guys, with our trustees. We've been praying together. We've been um, what I call brainstorming in the spirit. We've been asking God big questions. We've been looking at our prophetic story and how God has brought us to where we are. We've been zooming in on what God is doing on the ground here and now. What is, what, is, what, is, what is it about Jubilee? We've also been praying through, getting excited, dreaming dreams about where God can take us in the years to come. Come on, Jesus. Have your way. Vision is very important. Vision is very important. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us, without vision, the people perish. That's how serious that. That's how serious the Bible takes vision, godly vision. You see, biblical vision is God revealing himself to us. You see, God is continually a God who is unfolding his plans and purposes for us. Through the Bible, he's given us a blueprint for what he wants his glorious church to look like. Through the prophetic over the years, he has painted in the details, set priorities, given us direction through our different skill mixes in different settings, through our different passions. God is putting his great big jigsaw together. It's not just a set of targets or, or, or key performance indicators. Who hates those at work? Or pragmatic goals. No way. It's what God is saying and doing. And increasingly, I'm seeing that more and, the more and more we come in line with him, get caught up in the tsunami of his grace, as we heard Sue talk about the other week, the more and more we wait on him, wait for him, the more and more we see the gospel-changing fruitfulness of our God in our midst. We do. Just look around. It's God's vision that fuels us. It's God's vision that fires us. And it's God's vision that motivates us. Jubilee, we're part of a great drama, his great, beautiful, musical, creative, a glorious opera of tragedy, of doubt, of uncertainty, of laughter, of joy, of tears, of faith, of life with this wonderful God. God has a story that he's written us all into. And it's this story that gives us a true sense of destiny. It's, what, it's this story that holds us together. It's what unites all of our different ideas and stirrings that God has put, us, put in us all. God's big story brings continuity and perseverance and endurance in everything we do. It's not about Terry Virgo. It's not about Jeremy Simpkins. It's not about this eldership team. It's not about eldership teams to come. We love them all. But look, Jesus is building his church. And what does the Bible say? The gates of hell will not stop it. That is the reassurance we have. That is the great encouragement for us to get stuck in to everything that God has called us to. So please pray for us as elders, as leadership teams, as we keep seeking God in this. We're not rushing on here. We're wanting to know where are you directing?
directing us, God? Where are you leading us? Like Moses in Exodus 33. If your presence doesn't go with us, Lord, do not lead us up out of here. We want your bigger picture and only your bigger picture, don't we? Otherwise, we're not going anywhere. Also, the second thing that God has put on my heart is that in the trials and the setbacks, and it was good to hear what Paul brought um, this morning, in the trials and the setbacks, God wants us to see his bigger picture. He does. God has been really stirring me with the unshakable assurance of Romans 8 uh, in the midst of various difficulties that we're going through, actually. This passage is the pinnacle of the hope we have in God, all of us. It's a great summary of the truths that make, that make all that we go through worthwhile. And the one line that has really gripped my attention over the last few weeks is this. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, if this God is really for us, do we believe that? Do we really believe that? If this God then is really for us, who can be against us? It's a no-brainer. You see, we have a tendency to linger in the who's against us part, don't we? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Trial, suffering, hardship is a real deal. It's not easy. The Bible is very clear about that. The Christian walk isn't an escape from reality. The Apostle Paul kept on saying it. Other writers of the Bible kept on saying it. Jesus keeps on saying it. Suffering, hardship, trials, setbacks, difficulties are for real. But what gets us through? What makes it all worthwhile? What motivates us and excites us in the midst of all that is going on, and it is all going on, what blows away our anxieties and fears and sleepless nights is this, is this. He, Jesus, God himself, is totally, absolutely, unshakably for us. Do you hear that, Jubilee? That's an amazing truth. 229, uh, 29 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it says 29 Corinthians, you haven't, heard, you haven't read that book, have you? 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, we are, to the Apostle Paul, we are under great, have I written 29? No. Uh, we are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Some of you might be feeling like that in your situation today. Hear this. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Jubilee, God wants you, God wants me to see the big picture uh, in the midst of the apparent confusion, random nature, the apparent random nature and unsettledness of our lives. God wants us to get his bigger perspective. God says, lift your head high. See what God is doing. Trust him. Press on. Because all the time he's molding you 
shaping you, drawing you closer, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts, even when he seems distant or silent. He is. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said that they who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. <laughs> I like that. And the pearl of greatest price is Jesus, isn't he? He is the spring that we keep, keep going back to, as Roger said the other day, isn't he? And so if, and so if he, Jesus, really is for us, who can be against us? We just need to walk in his ways, as Hosea said. And really, that takes me to my final point. This message is very simple this morning. What Jesus did in these uh, few lines is a very simple message, actually. How do we see him deeper? How do we increasingly see with the eyes of faith? Answer? Ask Peter. You see, his answer to Jesus' question, who do you say I am, Peter, is the turning point in Peter's life when you read the Gospels. Peter has finally begun to see something that he has never seen before. And it changes everything. Seeing this truth, this fact, this reality, changes everything we see. Who do you say I am, Peter? You are the Messiah. Or the better versions of the Bible say, you are the Christ. You see, this wasn't just Jesus' second name, like, you know, Jesus Christ, Raj, Saha. This Christ, this, the, the, the Christ was a Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would bring ultimate freedom and purpose to the people of God, the perfect, sovereign, ruling, reigning king, the one whom they'd put all their hope in, the Christ, the Messiah, the one with total authority. I like what the first lady brought in her prophetic. God is large. I remember Julian used to say, God is large, Julian Adams. God is large and in charge. That's what he used to say, didn't he? That's the answer. When we see Jesus for who he really is, the fog increasingly clears. Andrew Wilson, a, a Bible uh, teacher uh, down south, says this, I believe there is nothing, nothing, anywhere that is more worth reading about and responding to than the character of God. In fact, I'm convinced that if your knowledge of God, my knowledge of God, doesn't grow, then neither will you. Theology matters. Remember? Not in a geeky kind of glasses down, professorial kind of way. Not in a, that's what the Hebrew says kind of way. No, in life, in thinking, in decision-making, in seeing, in worship, theology really matters. That's what happened when Luke brought his contribution. That's what happened to John as he saw a vision of the risen Jesus in all of his glory, in his, all of his splendor that we read in Revelation earlier on. When we were doing our Daniel series, that's what this Nebuchadnezzar, remember King Neb? 
That's what he saw. The most powerful man on earth. Often referred to as the king of kings in his time. Yet faced with the vastness and the wonder of the almighty God. You know what? King Neb is broken. This is what it says. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I can see. And I blessed the Most High, the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does, this God of ours, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. Nothing can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? King Neb fell down in worship as he lifted his head above the palaces, above the bling, above his conquests, above the armies, to the glory of God. That's what he's calling us to do. It happened to the prophet Isaiah as well, didn't it? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe, get this, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, big angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is this Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Woe to me, cries Isaiah. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I've deliberately read those two slightly long passages out. Do you see who he is, Jubilee? Do you see this wonderful God? Because that's how we see deeper. We keep coming to him like the blind man did, like King Neb, like Isaiah, like Peter, and he will increasingly reveal himself to you. He will. God the Holy Spirit will pour more and more truth into you, bit by bit, day by day, experience by experience, trial by trial, verse by verse, person by person. Spit, spit, spit. Through our prayer times, through our vulnerable, open, close, close community settings, through serving, through our studying scripture, through trusting and submitting to godly leadership, the people who are, out, are looking out for you, you see more and more and more. Your eyes open more and more and more. Don't neglect these things, Jubilee. They're very important. Don't drift. Step in, step up. Like the blind man, keep, keep coming to this Jesus. Keep telling him, nope, I don't see you right. Keep telling him, show me more. Keep, keep crying out to him, touch me more. I want to see more. Is that your prayer? Is that your cry? Is that what you do day after day after day? There's a day coming, Jubilee, for all of us who trust in Jesus. 
that we will see him. This is what the Bible says. We will see him as he is. Perfectly, truly wonderful. In all his splendor and glory and majesty and reign, just as Luke read out, every mouth will be shut and his truth will be declared over all of creation. That day is coming. But get this, that reality starts now. That's what Easter's about, isn't it? It's not about eggs. It's not about chocolate. It's not about bunny rabbits. It's about God's new creation exploding through the reality of the resurrection and all that that means. Right now, right here, starting here, happening before our very eyes. Do you see it? Do you see it? That's what we're about. That's, that, that's the reality that we're in. That's what all this church stuff is about. That is the hope we have in Jesus. And I want to end with a question. Will you play your part? Will you play your part? Let's stand. If the band can come up, that would be great.